Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown, as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. It is Friday, May 19th. With the exception of the NFL, here's how the business of local sports TV typically works. The teams in each league do a deal with a regional sports network, an RSN, to exclusively air the games, sometimes they even own or co-own the channel. And then the channel charges the distributors like DirecTV or your terrible cable company, YouTube TV. They charge an astronomical fee to carry the channel, which is then passed on to the consumer, whether they watch the games or not. It's a great business. We've talked about it before on the show, but that business is slowly going away. The combination of cord cutting and higher sports rights fees are creating a perfect storm for these businesses. Diamond Sports Group, the country's largest RSN owner, declared bankruptcy in March. They operate 19 networks under the Bally Sports brand. They televise about a third of all NHL, MLB, and NBA games. And one of those NBA teams, the Phoenix Suns, along with its WNBA counterpart, the Mercury, have taken matters into their own hands. They announced last month that they're bailing on their RSN and doing an over-the-air broadcast TV deal with a local station and a streaming deal for a direct-to-consumer streaming product. They also got sued by Diamond, but we're not talking about that lawsuit today. Practically every game in one place, that's what they promised, and it's a huge deal. The team's owner, Matt Ishbia, called it an absolute game-changer for our organization our fans, and the future of how we grow the game. It could suggest a coming sea change in how we watch our favorite local sports teams, even national. Just today, I saw the Wall Street Journal noted that Disney is moving forward on how to take ESPN directly to streaming, which would be a very big deal and not great news for the cable bundle. So I thought I'd get the agents who did the Suns deal on here to explain exactly how all this will work. Karen Brodkin and Hillary Mandel are both executive VPs at Endeavor and run its media consulting business for sports teams. They did this Suns deal as well as the new Big Ten deal with Fox, CBS, and NBC that's set to bring in more than $7 billion. And the Big 12 Conference's recent TV deal. They also rep the Jazz, the Heat, a bunch of other teams. Big changes are coming in the sports media landscape, and the RSNs are in the middle of it. We're going to talk about that today. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Karen Brodkin and Hillary Mandel. Karen is EVP at Endeavor and co-head of WME Sports. Hillary is EVP and head of IMG Media for the U.S. and Americas. You are both 
negotiators of media rights for sports leagues. Correct? That's correct. Guilty as charged. Welcome to the show. Appreciate you guys coming on. Our pleasure. Good to see you, Matt. So we did a show on this topic in February about the coming apocalypse in the regional sports network universe. The economics are changing. The cable bundle is deteriorating. And the prices that these networks are charging to the cable outlets are, in many cases, no longer sustainable, we talked about. And then, lo and behold, a couple months later, you guys go and do it. You take the Phoenix Suns and their WNBA counterpart, and you move them from their regional sports network, which was part of the bankrupt Diamond Group, and you did a deal with the local broadcaster in Arizona, and you're launching a digital offering direct to consumer. So tell us how that all came together and what and sort of the economics that led to you guys to do this deal for the Suns. We started working exclusively with the Suns um, probably, you know, over a year ago. Um, when they're prior to the start of their contractual negotiation window with Diamond Sports Group, we sort of prepared them for those negotiations. And we, you know, negotiated per the contract with Diamond, came out of the window, um, really did feel like there would be a market. I mean, I think, Matt, everything that you said in your intro about your podcast in February and the demise of the RSN business, you know, obviously we were well aware of. I, I spent almost 16 years at Fox Sports, and part of my remit was um, working on the RSNs and the deals, and and that was really in the heyday of the RSN business. We were churning a lot of deals, cycle over cycle. So we had prepared the the Suns for sort of a changing and adjusting marketplace, but we also felt really bullish about the offering. And we, you know, new ownership was coming in. Uh, the Suns have long produced and sold their games. So they are a very sort of well-oiled machine when it sort of comes to the marketplace. And they were really open-minded to looking at different options. And I would tell you, Hillary and I would tell you, we had multiple parties at the table. This wasn't a one-horse race. Um, it was a really engaged, active marketplace. We spoke to everybody. And over time, we were able to, with um, the Suns, um, architect what we think is a really great opportunity for them going forward to build their fan base to build their community, to continue to really market themselves. Obviously, the Mercury are, are a big part of that as well. So we're excited. We're excited for them, and we're con we're excited for the new model. So let's talk about the new model. Give me the details here on why this makes sense, why you need a broadcast partner. You can't just go D to C. Give me, give me that angle. What's old is new. Um, for a lot of people who listen, they're going to remember that there was a moment in time, I live in New York, where you watched the Mets on Channel 9 and you watched the Yankees on Channel 11, a local independent distributed, and that's how you saw your local teams. If you take a step back, you know, why did that disappear? Because the model was there. There was, you know, cable was growing and they had the, you know, the subscriber growth was feeding the license fees and so forth. And, and they left. Yeah, they said, they said, wait a second, we can have our own channel. We don't have to sell our games to the local broadcast station. We can yeah. keep all that money and just show reruns of old games and documentaries and stuff when the games aren't on. Like, that's a great deal. 
And, and and more than that, and we'll guarantee you the dollars up front. You don't have to do any work for that. We'll just yeah, hand right. you the check every month. So, you know, it, it's so simple on, on many levels. If that model is under pressure for the exact reasons that you stated at the head of the call, because we all are talking about, you know, where cable is heading, it just makes sense that the content itself has always been rich and fantastic. It's live local sports that there was never, no one's debating that. But now that a local station can recognize, again, the economics of change, the, to some degree, um, the guaranteed notion of all those dollars up front is not going to be there. It's going to be more of a partnership. What you're getting in, what, what broadcast stations have to offer is 100% access to the market. These cable stations have been distributed in a third of 50%. There are a lot of fans who have been without their team content. So it Yeah, just, my parents live in the phoenix market and they they have dish and they don't get the suns because that dish is cheap and they don't pay the extra money you need to pay for the sports channels so this is actually a much better deal for them the model the cable the rsn model really made it very difficult for the rsns in fairness to have a, a very viable nimble price effective digital offering alongside uh, the structure of the model, the affiliate Yeah, they rate, depend the on the fees and That's you're right. only going to get the fees if it's exclusive. That's right. I think in the new model, certainly in the new model that, that, that we helped the Suns and the Mercury achieve, there will be both, you know, very widespread broadcast distribution of all the games and other content and lots of marketing, but there will also be a companion direct-to-consumer team-branded product that will be um, extremely viable, extremely nimble, very well priced, um, and you know they will effectively cover the entire market. I mean, Hillary said another thing that I think has somehow gotten lost over the last few years, a little bit, in my opinion. Even though the the cable bundle, the model might be pressured, the the value of the of the product is so real. Live sports. Locally, nationally, it, I mean, it has never been more valuable than it is today. Oh, it's the only thing that is drawing people in. There was this journal article today about how Disney is preparing for ESPN's future as a direct-to-consumer offering. And that would be devastating to the cable bundle because so many people only subscribe for ESPN or and a couple of other sports channels. And if you take all of that and Monday night football and baseball and the NBA, if you take it to direct consume, direct to consumer, that's just, that's admit perhaps a death knell. Uh, but it gets to the price because you guys have not announced what the sun's digital offering is going to be. And just to clarify here, the games are going to air on the free local station. And they're also going to be sold as a direct to consumer offering that you do not need the cable bundle or even your local and, you know, bunny ears, local channel to, to watch. So what is the price point going to be here? Because everything I've read on this subject suggests that if these games, if these teams take their games directly to the consumer, the price they're going to need to charge is going to be pretty darn high. We're talking 30, 50, 70 bucks a month for one D to C channel. Is that what you're looking at here? If you're a Suns fan and you're a cord cutter? 
what I would say to you is the pricing hasn't been announced. It's not going to be announced by Karen and Hillary. Um, no, but that's the deal you put in place to get to a point. You could say it this way. Currently, you would think that even Diamond Sports would want to really put their D2C product, the Bailey Sports, you know, offering at the lowest price point possible, right? Build your subscribers, just the way some of the, you know, the Disney Pluses started and the Peacock started. But because of that relationship between a cable network and its distributors, they can only exist if they price it at such a high rate that the cable distributor is doesn't see it in any way as, you know, cannibalizing their distribution business. What we take away is you take that friction away now because it's a broadcast station, doesn't have that same um, subscription dynamic with a distributor. So now, as, as Karen said, in a partnership, it's all about get as many as you can. And that means you have to be price sensitive and competitive uh, in the in the marketplace and not worry that you're harming your other distribution business because that dynamic does not exist for a local television station. Okay, I get it. So what you're saying is that if the direct-to-consumer business as a whole is intent on growing, that you will price it perhaps under market in order to grow that business. And then if you succeed, you will effectively transfer over those fans and then you can start to raise the price. That's I, I, I want to be very mindful here, okay? Because mm -hmm. I think it is important to be thoughtful in how we respond to this. Mm -hmm. The relationship between the broadcast station partner, their distribution partners, whether it's in Phoenix or any other market where you might see a deal like this, I don't think it's you know going to necessarily be unique to the Phoenix Suns and the Mercury. Um, and the relationship between the team and the team's direct-to-consumer strategy are all going to be intertwined. There's no upside to trying to hurt any of those partners, cannibalize them, undermine them. We think going forward with this new model, you will you will see sort of a greater partnership and a greater opportunity to distribute both the games on broadcast television, more widely distributed, more widely marketed, and an accompanying direct-to-consumer product that that hopefully will align strategically with both. And there won't be the sort of push-pull friction that you've up to now seen, and at least most recently seen, sort of in the cable RSN model. That makes sense to me. The, the, the question I have about it, and I think you have an answer for it, is these teams have become so accustomed to billions of dollars in revenue from the RSNs because of the unique economics of having a channel that is a must-carry for these cable systems. Now, you're going into a new environment where you're licensing the games to a broadcast channel and also supplementing that revenue with a D2C direct-to-consumer streaming option. How can you justify that when the revenue from the direct-to-consumer is not going to be potentially what the RSN revenue was? Are these teams necessarily going to have to accept less money? I think you have to accept that the model is different. And I okay. think you have to pay a lot of attention to the breadth of the distribution. Keep in mind that there's sponsorship, there's media advertising, there's the value of their 
in the case of we're talking about the NBA with the Suns and the value of their patch, their jersey patch. Sure. Well, all of that exists today, anyways. That's right. But when you're doubling or more than doubling your distribution of your games um, and reaching more fans and more consumers and more future fans. And so you're not just hitting your diehard fans, you're hitting your casual fans, you're hitting your will be fans. And you can understand how the economics can grow and develop and get stronger. It's, it is a uniquely different model than to Hillary's point that she started with, which is I, I probably wouldn't be quite as cavalier to say you didn't have to do anything to get paid a check. Obviously you, you, you know, you need to run an, a, a team, right. but you're right. Like you, you got a guaranteed rights fee and very often you didn't, you didn't sell any of the media inventory inside your games and you accepted the distribution as it was, right? I mean, if it was available on your cable, all your cable and satellite and telco distributors or market, great. But if it wasn't, you know, you lived with that. That was the, that was the exchange. Yeah. You tied yourself to the cable bundle Titanic. And what you are doing is you are moving this team over to, yes, something that is attached to the cable bundle, not exclusively, but it is a television network where you can reach a lot of people and develop new fans and serve that audience that maybe, like my parents, are not even getting to watch games now and didn't really have a choice because their satellite provider didn't offer them. Mm -hmm. And you're saying, great, it's now on linear. Watch them there. Or if you're a full court cutter, you have this other option. Yeah, and I don't want to be dismissive either about the RSN business. It, it existed for a long time. Um, it, they were great partners to teams for a long time um, and, and distributed game, live games and replayed games and pregame shows and postgame shows. I mean, there was a lot of programming that was pushed out in that model. The other thing I, I, I do want to say, like Hillary and I work for teams. We work for clients and we want to achieve their goals for them. And each team and each client has a different set of goals. So, you know, you, you look at your marketplace, you look at your options and you try to align with the goals of your clients. Right. I would say in the case, in the case we're talking about with the Suns, we, we were able to do that. Well, but you guys represent a bunch of teams and, you know, Diamond, the bankrupt RSN company, they have teams in what, 19 markets? They have, they show games in 19 markets. So presumably this is a replicable model for your clients. Uh, and I think that that's true. But I want to come back to something that you said, Matt, and Karen is saying the same thing. I want to be clear. In this case and other cases, the, the new model is about growth. I think we've established that the RSN model is flat and, you know, maybe it continue, can continue to be flat. But back to the point about teams having goals, if you can effectively get the same money that you can get somewhere else, but now there's an option to grow on top of that, to partner, to be able to get into those other businesses, you as any property, but certainly a team, that's a more desirable route. And, and it's what's changed today 
we think is also the excitement that broadcast groups have of getting back. They see an opening to get back into this business. I don't think they ever wanted to leave it. So we go back to what we said before. If you're a local broadcaster, what is more important in your market than the local team content? Think about all the other content. Yeah, but they couldn't afford it because right. the economics of the RSNs were better. But now the economics are not better. Right. Yeah. I just think that the the cost of the D to C offering, depending on the team, is going to have to be pretty high. I mean, you look at like, I've seen articles talking about what if the Yankees went direct to consumer? What if the Lakers, like those, the prices that you will have to pay to be a cord cutting subscriber to the Lakers or the Yankees channel would have to be super high. If you if it was exclusive, which is not the case here. No, I, I know. Yeah, no, no, I'm not talking exclusive. Yeah. I don't think any team can afford to be exclusive at this point. That is basically cutting off your fan base or most of your fan base. It's not a good strategy. Put the money aside. <laughs> I mean, we saw yesterday with the, with the upfronts, they're talking about Thursday night football. The NFL took the Amazon money and the ratings for Thursday night football were down 40% because it's just added friction. It's not on Fox anymore. It's on Amazon Prime. I think the takeaway narrative, and it's the narrative that I think Hillary and I live by with our clients, all the time, every day, is the value of live sports content is really uncontroverted. I mean, we knew this for many years when I was at Fox Sports, and it's true today. There are many nights of the week, many, where the live game, the live fill-in-the-blank NBA game outrates everything else in prime time. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, it's yeah, especially with if NFL starts to do that. I mean, I mean you saw teasing. the upfronts this week. Everybody's talking about sports at their upfronts. Well, the scripted stuff is on strike, but yes, I get, I get what you're talking about. <laughs> right. But they had some good stories to tell despite that. Yeah, no, they do. And that's what's driving all this stuff. Question for you. If ESPN went over the top today, meaning all the ESPN programming on ESPN plus, what do you think they would need to charge? A lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know it's a complicated formula because you'd have to pay off the existing deals that they have. I mean, they, they need to like work the ability to do this into their deals, but it would be 30, 40, 50 bucks, right? Right. But, but if there's one network that is borderline a utility for sports fans, it's ESPN. I mean, sure. it's, it's close to a must have, I think for sports fans, as you can find, you know, we come across that a lot. I mean, isn't the question though, and it's, I think it's our interpretation isn't what Disney's really facing trying to balance the two? It's not an or or nothing world. It's a, um, you know, it continues to be about reach and making sure that they have an offering that works in a world that is OTT, but at the same time, riding the bundle for as long as you can, because the lights are never going to, it's not a switch. The lights are not going to go off overnight. I get that, but it's also a huge, huge problem for the bundle if the most popular channel in the bundle is offered on its own digitally. If you're presuming that the economics of the bundle are going to stay the same. Meaning you charge, you charge the cable companies less for ESPN if it's not exclusive. Correct. And then presumably those cable companies can bring down the price for their customers or just keep the cash, which is what they would probably do. Could very well be. This episode is brought to you by Netflix, presenting The Crown. 
as the beloved series bids farewell. Deserving of praise on every level, says New York Magazine. Throughout its groundbreaking six-season run, The Crown has featured three different casts, earned 273 award nominations, and secured 70 award wins, including outstanding drama series. Critics rave, The Crown secures its place in the pantheon of television history. From creator and writer Peter Morgan, the final season stars Imelda Staunton, Dominic West, and SAG Award winner Elizabeth Debicki. The Crown, for your Emmy consideration in all categories. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. While I've got you, I want to talk about college sports because you guys just did two big deals, one for the Big Ten with Fox, CBS, and NBC. Uh, The Big 12 deal was with ESPN and Fox. Describe the digital discussions on those deals because I always assume that the college sports would be the first to really embrace direct-to-consumer and streaming just because a lot of their fans are younger people. Do you consider these two deals to be more traditional deals? And if so, why? You mean two deals, meaning the the, the two conferences? The two conference deals. Okay. Yeah. Well, first, we advised the Big Ten, in mm-hmm. fairness. We represented the Big 12 in the negotiations. Okay. So on the Big Ten, I would this would be my answer. Yeah. On the Big Ten... We'll see if it's the same as mine. They, they <laughs> achieved broadcast partnerships with Fox, CBS, and NBC. You know, there is digital components inside those deals. Like Paramount Plus and Peacock. That's right. I would say to you on the Big 12, first of all, with the Big 12, as I think you know, um, the Big 12 determined decided to negotiate early with their incumbents. They could not take their rights to market early. Um, so it was uh, it was different than the Big Ten, who had the ability to go to market. The Big Twelve was negotiating early with their current incumbents, and I would say in in the deal with ESPN and the Big Twelve, there is a very you know there is a very big digital component. So exclusive games on ESPN Plus. There are. There okay. are just as there are with you know just as ESPN is doing with almost every single partner these days. There is a component of that deal that is with ESPN Plus. And I would add on the Big Ten, I mean, you're right, Matt. If you look at what the result is, I mean, they did as close to an NFL deal as you could do. I mean, they really they 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 double down on on classic broadcast television, you know, to have a primetime package on NBC, right? They get their window in the afternoon on CBS. And they, you know, continue with their great windows on Fox. I mean, that's a that was the goal, and that was the result. It's just surprising, given their aspirations in the Big Ten to be the college conference, that they wouldn't bring in an Amazon or an Apple or someone to supplement. Even the NFL is doing that. Well, you know, let's see what happens. You know, it's not uh, an incredibly long term deal, so you know, 
it's less than 10. I think we're at seven. So we'll see what happens next round. But keep in mind, they do have a fourth partner in the Big Ten network that, you know, they were the first conference to launch their own branded network back in 2007. And so you already have four partners there. Separate question. Is the Pac-12 screwed? I mean, it's so depressing for those of us on the West Coast. Like, what are they going to do here? Uh, we have two Cal grads on the phone, right? I know, I know. But <laughs> and you, I presume you guys don't represent the Pac-12. No, we do not. Because you guys are good agents, and they apparently do not have good agents. Matt, you're not going to bait, bait us. <laughs> right. You said that, Matt. We did not. But what say do they do? They're losing teams. They have this awful network. They, you know, they have a, a new commissioner coming. Like, what is the Pac-12 going to do? You know, I can give you the I can give you the answer that I mean. I really sincerely mean this, despite all that's been written about. We we are very laser focused on our clients. Oh, that's the nice answer. <laughs> you can you can say they have a tough they have a tough road ahead. Listen, you know, Matt, the headwinds that have been swirling in this business, as you see, change on by, by the week. So, you know, I think that unless the the weather changes, I, I you know, I think conventional wisdom says that you know the opportunity, if when it presents itself today, looks like try to figure out a good shorter term deal so that you get a chance to reset and get back to the market. All right. Well, we will see how it all plays out. Fascinating stuff. Thank you guys for coming on. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. It was fun. We're back with the call sheet. Craig, you excited this weekend for Fast 10? You going to go see it? Yeah, I'm going to Europe for the next 10 days, but maybe I'll catch it abroad. Oh, perfect. Everyone in Europe is going to be seeing this movie. It'd be great. Nice moment of uh, camaraderie and culture in Europe, go all the way there to see a Vin Diesel Fast and Furious movie. Do they sell Coronas in Sweden? If so, I'm there. <laughs> uh, I have not been, I am not a Fast and Furious franchise person, but I am aware of the Corona joke. It's, it, what is it? You can have any beer you want as long as that's a Corona. And I actually recently, I just looked this up. I thought there, that there was like a brand deal between Corona and Fast. There's not. Oh, it's it's totally organic. Yeah, I, I think people just like fell in love with it and thought it was hilarious, and and then they just ran with it. That is funny. It is pretty objectively hilarious. Uh, Vin Diesel says they're doing two more. He did two more. And that, yeah, he it was originally they announced the, the twelve. They announced eleven, and then on like a red carpet at the premiere in Rome, Vin Diesel just dropped. Oh yeah, we're gonna do a thirteenth as well. So I guess if he says it, it's true. But um, the tracking for this movie, at least in the U.S., not great. It is um, 60 million, which is way down from even the last one, which opened to 70 million two years ago. And only 80% of movie theaters were open then. So this is not, this is diminishing returns, at least in the US. Yeah, even the one before that, Fast 8 opened to almost 100 million. Yeah, the, the height was Fast 7, which Paul was Walker. the Paul Walker like yeah. memorial one that got to almost 150 in the opening weekend. But, you know, Universal thinks this one is primarily for overseas audiences. I hope for my sake, I'm selfishly hoping that it gets there because I have it in our box office draft and I need to make up some ground. Lucas had Super Mario Brothers, so I'm hoping this one performs. Uh, I'm actually going to take the over on the $60 million. Maybe I am a little bit biased by my own self-interest here, but I think Universal is lowballing with 60. They know that the the numbers aren't going to be great. 
So they lowballed with 60 and it'll come in 65, 70, and it'll look like a win, even though it's not really a win. I'll be there. Me and 1,500 other Spotify employees in Sweden, all with Coronas. Oh, that's right. You're hanging with the Gojo Swedes this week. That's right. I got my quart of blood already uh, ready. <laughs> I have it. I'm checking it. Bring, bring a robe. You're going to be in the sauna the whole time. <laughs> All right, that's the show. I want to thank my guests, Karen Brodkin and Hillary Mandel. I want to thank producer Craig Holbeck, and I want to thank you. We will see you next week without Craig. I'll have to call in from the from the skies. Call in from Europe. Mm, honestly, we're going to book a special guest, probably Anna Darmus. Joke's on you. We're actually going together. So. <laughs> that's false. That is, uh, that is demonstrably false. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll see you next week. 